outrageous, and fun conversations about how women are plugging into climate, energy, and sustainable solutions for the planet. I am your host, Megan Bennett, and on this podcast, I will be giving women who are doing the vital work of saving our planet a platform to share their stories, their ideas, and their dreams for a better future. And I hope these conversations will inspire us all to plug into our personal missions and expand what we think is possible for our families, our communities, our work, and ultimately our planet, starting today. Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. This podcast interview with my friend and former colleague and mentor, Suzanne Cara Bargelian, is a focused dose of hope, insight, and practical steps that we can take as citizens, to elevate environmental and climate protection, specifically in this upcoming Canadian federal election, but also going forward as active citizens for our planet. Suzanne is the Managing Director of Environmental Defense, which is a leading Canadian environmental advocacy organization that works with government, industry, and individuals to defend clean water, a safe climate, and healthy communities. We spoke at her home in the East End of Toronto, And what I found most interesting about this conversation is how focused and clear Suzanne is about the vision and importance of elevating environmental and climate protection as a non-negotiable Canadian value, which means taking environment beyond an issue that is debated and divides along political lines to a baseline value, similar to how we view universal healthcare in this country. To support this vision, Suzanne has some practical and actionable ways for us to engage. And this is hopeful. We talk about the One Earth, One Vote campaign, which is a campaign to get out the vote for the environment. We talk about the 100 Debates for the Environment, organized by Green PAC across Canada. And we talk about some of the ongoing campaigns that Environmental Defense is leading. All links to the organizations and campaigns we talk about and how to get in touch with Suzanne are included in the show notes on the Plugged In website. I hope you are inspired, hopeful, and motivated after this chat. (laughs) All right. We're rolling. Suzanne, welcome (laughs) to the Plugged In podcast. Thank you, Megan. Great to be here. (laughs) So great to have you. Um, We have known each other for over 10 years. You are a friend, a former colleague, mentor, boss, fellow book clubber, and you are currently the managing director at Environmental Defense in a role that, as far as I understand, you are responsible for overseeing the internal operations and leading the public engagement strategy for the organization. And I want to talk to you more about that role, but before we get into your work today, I want you to take us back to your roots. And um, so let's go to Beirut in the 1980s. I want to know what was happening in Lebanon 30 years ago. And how do you think that influenced who you've become today, your values, your work, and ultimately your perspective on the environment and the work that you're doing today? Hmm, How to keep this short and succinct. (laughs) Just thought I'd drop that question. And not too emotional. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I mean, I clearly grew up in the Civil War. 
but at the time, it's like you live day by day. You're not thinking about how it's influencing you, how it's shaping you. I think mostly like everybody else, I think my parents were the biggest influences of who I have become. But I think going through something like a civil war or anything like that that has a big uh, impact on how you live day to day sort of shapes your expectations from the rest of the world. Um of maybe being grateful of the positive things around you versus uh, the things that you don't have or you aspire uh, having. Also, it taught me, I think, to be resilient, persistent. And after surviving something like that, and I mind you, my experience was less scary than a lot of other Lebanese because of where I lived and um, who my family was and we didn't get engaged in the war or anything like that. But uh, it gave me perspective of how to keep going. And once you go through that, I think it just gives you a strength. I don't wish it on, on anyone, but it did give me a strength to say, what else can happen? The worst has passed. Also, it got me out of Lebanon in a way, although I lived through it and everything. I just wanted to explore something different where I felt I have a bit more control on what happens with my life versus being at the mercy of... Uh, politicians or the regional politics or religion or ethnicity and, and uh, lack of rights or a voice. But mostly I think my interest in nature or environment came from my dad because he loved to be in nature and I used to wa watch nature shows with him. We didn't really communicate much about it, but he loved animals. He had uh, a lot of respect for nature and animals and animals loved him. Every pet we had that became their best friend, not the kids. Uh, so I always sort of uh, looked at the world through his eyes that way. Um, then I veered off because of life circumstances and worked in different things, but always knowing that I'll find my way back into sort of an environmental or a mission-driven uh, work when I had enough experience and uh, was in the right place and I ended up in Canada and I was able to follow that dream. And you studied geology. I did. I read that you were drawn to geology because, and this is a quote of yours, which I loved, geology isn't just about rocks and earthquakes. It's about the universe and its evolution. Come on. How great a quote is that? <laughs> Where did you find that? <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> research. Uh, you know, I didn't know what geology was when mm. I first signed up. I was like, let's start somewhere. We'll see. This looks interesting. But my friends and I had no idea what it was. Most people would ask me, zoology, biology, mm. what are you doing? You take the first two, three courses. You learn about how Earth is formed and how it's constantly moving. Then, you, of course, they attract you by uh, the first course where it's a mineralogy. So you see all these rocks that you can't believe are um, you know, made in the crust or whatever, or plate tectonics, and then you're basically hooked because you just can't imagine those things at 18 or 19. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I stayed in it and I gave me another appreciation of the how Earth is formed. And I was mostly interested about Earth, not necessarily outer space necessarily, but I like that understanding of Earth and mountains and how everything's formed, but also how everything is constantly changing. It was very attractive. There's a lot of discussion right now, and I think rightly so, about the importance of science and technology. 
engineering and math, the STEM topics, and how to attract and retain more young women in the in that education stream. Were there many women in your program? Uh, no, <laughs> always two, okay. and I was one. Uh, yeah, most of my, yes, especially undergrad, because I did my undergrad in Lebanon. Yeah, we were two, in my class, we were two or three women uh, uh, most. Mm -hmm. I think I had one woman adjunct professor, the rest were all male, but that's not, it was common for Lebanon for all the science uh, degrees to be more male dominant, dominated. But I really didn't go into science thinking about any, I wasn't that aware. I had no awareness about these right. things. I was attracted to science. I uh, was good in math and physics and chemistry, so I ended up there. Uh, I advocate for women having options mm -hmm. and not being restricted by gender or identity. But I'm also not a proponent that going to STEM is the better version. I have a, a utmost respect for the arts mm -hmm. as I get older and see the value of arts and literature and the written word in my life than the pragmatic solutions that science offers. Although I am basically, my all my education has been in science, I have appreciation and respect for the arts now. And you are working on engagement and policy and advocacy. So, yeah, what was that, what was that, what drew you to that work? So it's interesting, both my experiences in Canada, one was with you in, in an organization, Summerhill, and now Environmental Defense. Both organizations really fit my personality because I like to be a jack of all trades and just keep changing and learning versus learning one thing and excelling in it. It's not really my type. Uh, both organizations afforded me to see a need and just go learn how to fulfill that need. And that's what happened with engagement at Environmental Defense. I'm not a, a policy analyst. I'm not a uh, policy person. But I did see a gap that we can uh, prioritize where we uh, communicate the policy asks to the general public and give them a bigger voice. I'm talking in Environmental Defense because mm -hmm. other organizations do this extremely well. And I saw that if we put a bit more effort there, there's so much more that we can do. I got interested in human behavior and how what makes a, a person uh, engaged uh, in politics or policy or civic duty. So that's, and because the management and the teams in these organizations are progressive, open-minded, sort of relaxed about rules, I was able to explore. And frankly, I didn't know much. I just like to learn and I have people around me who are advocates of learning. So it just happened one thing at a time and now I thoroughly enjoy it and um, you know, try to connect with other people who are excellent at, in this space and learn from them. Um, so yeah, it was just organic cool. based on a need mm -hmm. and a, you know, a peer group of manage, managers who believes that yes, we, can, we don't have to have too many rules. We should just go where the needs are and be flexible. Very cool. So let's talk about environmental defense. Tell me about what the organization does and what your role is there. So mostly environmental defense obviously is uh, an advocacy organization that's working on water, uh, mostly fresh water in uh, Ontario protecting 
the water uh, resources that we have, land use, land use planning, talking about communities where people can live and um, get what they need from that community. Uh, the, you know, the concept of a livable community where you can work and play and raise family and uh, get all the social uh, supports or the needs that you need. We work on climate change. That's a, a large part of our portfolio on the policy side, both provincially and federally. We work on toxics or eliminating toxics, uh, uh, toxic chemicals from products uh, in our day-to-day -day lives because they're everywhere. Although Canada does make strides in all of this, there's still a lot more to do. So the, we focus mostly on advocacy, but it's done through multiple channels. There is the policy work that we do with government at any level, any government. But with it, we engage with industry and the public. At the end of the day, the public has a voice. And in Canada, which I appreciate compared to where I come from, the public uh, opinion matters. If enough people want something, it happens. So we do bring that in. It's not like one tactic or one uh, type of work gets you to change. You need basically to balance industry, public, and government, or focus on one that's working for you at the time to make change happen. But the positive thing, and this is why I love working here, is I see how change actually happens and it's possible. Uh, versus in the Middle East or in Lebanon specifically, I couldn't see that. You needed to move mountains. And it was very difficult because politics ruled everything and there was no accountability. Here, I feel there is room. So if you people raise their voice, uh, things happen. And I like that about Canada. I like that about this society that the national interest will have a voice bigger than industry, maybe not all the time, but a lot of the times. Can you tell us about something that either you're working on now or that you've seen at Environmental Defense recently that bring, that isn't a good example of that? So one thing that I'm, uh, you and I have talked about that I'm currently working on with other national uh, environmental organizations is the Get Out the Vote campaign. Uh, on environment. As you know, and many people know, we are running out of time. There is no 50, 60 years left to fix things and cut down on our emissions. Temperatures are rising. The window is 11 years. It was 12, and now we're at the 11. Time flies. So Environmental Defense and 13 other national organizations came together, and we explored our strength in movement building and how can we educate, provide content, and uh, give people incentive through movement building that they're not alone and showing examples how public opinion in Canada matters and it leads to progressive change. To come together and get out and vote and vote for the progressive governments that we want to see in place. And those start with uh, governments that respect environment, they respect rights, uh, they respect national interests of, uh, and they prioritize that versus specific industry uh, interests. So we built, we started this, and together we launched One Earth, One Vote, which is a get out the vote prioritizing the environment campaign. And mostly our priority is to get to our supporters, to communicate with our supporters about the importance of voting in this campaign, in this now federal election, and that apathy is not the way out of this. 
And there's enough examples in Canada, in different provinces, where civic engagement has led to change. So it's not all is lost. Politicians here, or people who are running for office, they will listen to their constituents. So we're just trying to highlight that and provide content. What does Canada need to do to do its fair share in cutting carbon pollution? Because we have a role in Canada and we have a role internationally as a, you know, we are a progressive country. So that's sort of most of what my time is spent on for, from now till the federal election. Excellent. How can people, so what, is there a website? How do people get involved in that campaign? The People can get involved. Uh, we don't have a website, but we're building a few things. But there's lots of social uh, ads out there. Uh, if they look for hashtag one earth one vote, they will land somewhere on Instagram, Facebook, or any other um, uh, media that is promoting this movement. And from there, they can get to on lists of opt into any organization that they deem trustworthy, uh, that their voice resonates with them. And those organizations are providing content on what should Canada do? What does a good climate action plan look like, a strong one? What does environmental protection entail? There's lots of events that are happening from now till the election to provide that kind of education. So they just have to go to an environmental organization that they trust and all the information will be there or look for One Earth, One Vote online. Excellent. Are there, do you have specific questions or policies that you're looking for from candidates? So there are a couple of uh, efforts. What we're, one of the things this movement is trying to do is to elevate uh, this discussion on climate action or environmental protection to a value system for Canada and move away from debating one policy at a time. Just like healthcare, public education, our Canadian values across the nation, where federal government and provincial governments have worked together to come up with a system that is pretty good. Yes, there could be improvements, but it, we have a very good baseline. We want to elevate environmental protection to that. It should become a Canadian value. It should be recognized that way and not a topic that we can fight during election time and make it a partisan. We're beyond that. We can't afford those fights anymore. That's why this movement is advocating for the uh, candidates running for office anywhere across the nation to commit to this as a value for Canada. And then from it, the policies, the solutions are all there. There, is, there aren't that many, and we know what to do. Canadians have done it before. The people have willpower. We just need government commitment, whatever government. We need candidates to commit that they are going to do the right thing, that running for office without a strong environmental protection plan should become a no-go in Canada. That's sort of the vision from this movement. And maybe a little bit my personal. Excellent. <laughs> so, hashtag. One Earth, One Vote. Or the, if they go to Environmental Defense's website, we will have a landing page in a week Perfect. Uh, that will basically go through what values are we asking for. Okay. And we expand on each one. And then dive a little bit into what kind of policies uh, could help get us there because I think a lot of people already know what those are. Mm. Governments, NGOs, uh, nonprofits that have been working in this space for a very long time. Excellent. 
while we're on the topic of the federal election, I I understand you are also supporting the work of Green Pack um, and the one hundred all candidate debates. Can you tell us a little bit about that right. initiative? So Green Pack is a nonpartisan organization that promotes candidates across all parties that have a strong environmental plan. Okay. One of the things that they're spearheading, and a lot of and uh, groups, community groups, angles, uh, rights groups, uh, labor groups, a lot of groups are sort of taking part in organizing town halls. We're calling them debates mm -hmm. between all candidates at the riding level. Uh, the aim, and we're there, is to get. Uh, over 100 ridings in all the territories and the provinces where on the same night, October 3rd, we'll have debates. And uh, the organizers on the ground who are community members who have a vested interest in the well-being of that community are, in going, are inviting or going to invite soon all the candidates to participate. The debate is, or the conversation will be around environmental priorities. It could be at the federal level. It could be how are we going to translate these federal uh, policies to a community level, and the audience will have a chance to participate. But these are all uh, sort of operationalized through Green uh, Pack and other organizations, but they're run by local organizers. They are the voice of the community, run by people who are vested in that community. They want to hear from their um, candidates running in that riding. So it's a very local effort, but across the nation. How do people sign up or, or connect with those initiatives? Uh, so they can go to the 100 Debates on the Environment website, or they can reach out to anybody at Environmental Defense or Green Pack. And if they want to either organize, we'll help them with the tools to facilitate, or if there's already a debate in their riding, they can maybe join that group to help, or they can attend, let their friends and family know. So there's many levels of how someone can participate. What kind of tools do you provide if someone's interested in hosting something like so this? So we give the tools on context first, sort of what is a... Uh, environmental plan for Canada, what does it look like, how does it translate at a community level, Policy, policies, approaches, what's been done, what's the gap for us to fulfill our international commitments to uh, pollution reduction. We give training for moderators, how to moderate, we provide rules, how to have a respectful engagement that is nonpartisan, because this needs to be a conversation among all parties and all audience and not a partisan effort, because that will lose its meaning. How to invite their candidates, how to reach out to them. If they wanna do Facebook Live, we'll help train them how to do it, help them with invites, getting stories in their local papers. So we have an organizing organizer hub that has all these tools and ongoing webinars where organizers can join, meet each other, share concerns, successes, observations, things they've done. A lot of these groups have organized town halls before or debates, so they share their experiences. And sort of as more things come up, we're trying to close those gaps from a capacity building uh, sort of initiative. That's amazing. Yeah. Great. It's such a, so much great work that you're doing, Suzanne. I mean, so such many Such a critical groups. time. And yeah. It's, yeah. So it's, many groups are involved. Really, a lot of it pure volunteer. Amazing. Because people know the importance of this and uh, that time is running out. But mm -hmm. there's also hope. Mm -hmm. We know how to do things. We just need the willpower and a progressive government in place at all levels.
What's been the biggest surprise for you working in this field of advocacy? Uh, maybe not a surprise, but a realization uh, that as long as things uh, be, stay partisan, become a differentiator or divisive issue between two parties, the, the change is uh, that you, or the wins that you secure are so vulnerable to the governments that get elected. You win on something, four years later, a new government, you might lose that thing. And this is beyond environment on many other issues on all sides. That's why one of the things that we talk about is making environmental protection and having a strong climate plan should become a value so we stop negotiating during elections and ideally no one wants this to become an election issue. It should be a non-issue. It is the right thing to do. It's the baseline. Agreed. Agreed. So no one runs on dismantling the healthcare system in any platform. We want this to get there because it is as important as any other thing that Canada can do. Who inspires you most? I have to say the people I work with. I work with a solid peer group uh, that has been instrumental in me learning Canadian politics because I came to this country not knowing anything about Canada except that they had universal health care. Uh, I had no context of how change happens, what layer of government does what, because uh, as you know, the, uh, the politics of the United States is just overwhelming for the rest of the world. So that's all we heard. That's all I knew. And I lived in the States before, so no exposure to anything Canadian. So I trusted and I rely on my other four manager uh, peer group for learning all of this, how to navigate. And obviously also the executive director of environmental defense, Tim, has been uh, instrumental for me to come up to speed of how to see where we can move things forward and where is the strength of the public most needed and how to utilize it uh, to basically push things forward. Excellent. Anything else you wanted to share? Uh, no, I mean, it's great. I kind of just want to leave people with the, um, just this idea that, I mean, I lived in a third world country where hopelessness prevailed and we still live day to day. And I did go to school. I managed to go to university like, every, like a lot of other people. And uh, I feel in Canada, there is so much more opportunity that people, sh- I hope people don't get uh, discouraged that nothing will change. I don't see it that way. I feel if change cannot happen here, where else could it possibly happen? So I try my best every day not to let the news or the, you know, whatever it is around me get me down. Uh, So I'm still very hopeful. Excellent. Thank you for sharing your story and your, and your, kind of your vision and options for people to take action and get involved because that is hopeful and I really appreciate you sharing that. Thanks so much Megan. I enjoyed this. It was fun. Thanks Suzanne. (laughs) Is there anywhere can people follow you or how do people get in touch or reach out to you if they wanted to? Uh, So uh, fortunately uh, uh, for me I'm not on any social media uh, and this was a decision I made a couple of years ago where I couldn't really take the trolls anymore. (laughs) 
it just was very tough for me to read the news every day. But definitely uh, re go to Environmental Defense's website. Our contacts are there. We have a policy. We respond to everyone in 24 to 48 hours. Excellent. And I'll be more than happy to connect with people. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm having so much fun bringing this to you, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Let me know what you think. Share it, rate it, leave a review. Reach out. I am on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. All the info can be found at pluggedinpodcast.ca. I am super thankful for all the love and support behind the scenes. Some special call outs to Ercilia Serafini and Summer Hill for supporting me with the time to explore and work on this personal project. So appreciated. And finally, to my guests, thank you for being the inspiration. Join me next time on the Plugged In Podcast. <laughs>